So I want you to imagine if randomly one time during the day today, you met the manager of the local casino. And this person came up to you and said, I've got a deal for you. If you go down to the casino today, whatever you place on the roulette wheel, you are guaranteed to win. Now, whether you took up this person on that offer would depend a lot on whether you trust them. And it would be an interesting little thought experiment to see how much money would you go and withdraw from the bank, trusting that this person was going to be true to their word. Would you withdraw your life savings? Would you mortgage your house? Would you sell your car? How much would you be prepared to gamble if you knew that you were guaranteed to win? Now, the reason why this is an interesting little thought experiment is because there is something very similar to what Jesus says in the gospel. I'm sure you're familiar with that story of the rich young man in, well, it's in many of the gospels, but we find it particularly in, in Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus speaks to this young man who is self-sufficient. He's looking after himself. He has everything he needs and he's a good person. He's following the law of God. But Jesus basically challenges him. He says, go and sell everything you own and then come follow me. And as he says to the disciples, he says, you know, you'll have treasure in heaven. That anyone who has left houses or mother or father or land for my sake will receive a hundredfold. You know, that's better than most casinos will offer you. But the question is, how much do you trust him? When you can't necessarily see the reward in front of you, how much are you prepared to lay on the line to, to gamble, if we could say that way, to follow Christ? When you look at the way that Jesus called the apostles, it really is quite mind-blowing that they left everything to follow. You know, we, we are now 2,000 years after the fact. You know, we have got many generations of witnesses of the saints we have so much theology based around our understanding of heaven and the resurrection. But the reality is that they did not have that. You know, the early disciples were living in a religious environment where people weren't even convinced about life after death. You know, there were different Jewish groups. Some, you know, the Pharisees believed in life after death, but the Sadducees didn't. So it wasn't as though there was a clear awareness that they were actually following for something, and yet they gave up everything. This really is the primary question we've got to wrestle with. If we want to be disciples of Jesus, we need to really look inside of ourselves and work out what are we prepared to let go of? How much do we trust the one who calls us? And to allow those questions to make us reassess everything about our life. Yeah, St. Ignatius of Loyola, he you know, is famous for creating the, the spiritual exercises, taking people through a very long retreat, normally done over 30 days, as a way of really immersing your life into the scriptures, the way of, of Jesus. He begins the retreat with a particular meditation called the first principle and foundation. And I think this is important to notice that, that for, for Ignatius, this is the starting point. Whereas normally when I talk to people about this, 
they presume that this is something way advanced, which only the select few would ever agree to. And I think that says something to us about our current attitude to discipleship. If I can summarize this very simply, you can, you can Google it and look it up and find various translations of ways people have tried to word this. Fundamentally, what Ignatius is saying is that at the heart of discipleship, it's the fact that I need to give my life back to God. The God who created me, the God who owns my life, the God who paid for my life at the very price of his own blood, I need to recognize that my life is not my own, it's his. And that the greatest joy that I could ever experience is by giving it back to him. You know, whereas normally we live our lives trying to steal it off him. You know, we, we try and take back what is rightfully his. How do we come to a place of saying everything I do, everything I am belongs to God? And so therefore, every decision I make from here on needs to be done with God in mind because my life is not my own. Now, the way Ignatius words this meditation, he basically takes us through a couple of steps of logic where he starts off with point one saying, you know, we believe that the purpose of life is to praise and glorify God. Now, at that point, most Christians would nod their head and say, yes, we, we learned that in the catechism. But then he goes to point two, where he says, if the purpose of life is to praise and glorify God, then I should always seek the things that will bring glory to God. And I should avoid the things that don't bring glory to God. Now, once again, most of us would nod our heads and say, yeah, we, we get that. But then he starts to take it into a bit of dangerous territory. He says, well, if we, if we agree to that, we need to recognize that therefore I should be completely indifferent to whatever happens in my life as long as God is glorified. And I think this is the point where the audience starts to say, where is this leading? Okay, what's the next point that you're about to drop on us? Because the next point very simply is he says, therefore I should not hold on to any particular dreams or plans. You know, I should... I should be quite content whether I have a long life or a short life, whether I am healthy or sick, whether I'm wealthy or poor. As long as God is glorified, then that is the purpose of my life. Now, at that point, if you've been paying attention, there's going to be a reaction stir up inside your heart. Because the reality is that we all hold onto our life. We all have dreams and ambitions and plans. We want to enjoy this life as much as we can. We don't necessarily want to let go of those plans and dreams. And this idea of being content with a short life, being content if God is glorified somehow by my, my illness or, or lack of health, or if somehow me being poor is going to glorify God better. At that point, we, we either start running away or we get ready to start negotiating, <laughs> trying to convince God that maybe he's wrong, that he would be much better glorified if I had a, a long, healthy, wealthy life. But really what Ignatius is trying to do is stir up the question inside of us. What does it actually mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to give everything to say, Lord, my life is yours and I'll follow you even if the place you are going is Calvary. If that is where God is to be glorified, then I will go with you. 
that's where it gets difficult. You know, I think the reality is that most of us would much rather do our own will and do it for God rather than doing God's will, because we're not quite sure whether we like what God's will is. I'd much rather do my own dreams and plans and somehow make that into a prayer of thanksgiving. But have I really surrendered my life? Have I really given my life over to him? Now, there's a great story, which I often tell, of a, the conversion of a, a young man in England, a guy by the name of Charles Studd, where this guy was, had the world at his feet. You know, he was studying at Cambridge. He was a member of the English cricket team. He was from a wealthy family. He was Anglican, you know, so he was a Christian, but really in name only. And he really, he was living the dream. He, he was living his own life, going to be rich and famous. But there came this point where he heard the gospel being preached boldly. And the thing that really struck him was this idea of Christ redeeming us. And the preacher explained the fact that if Christ has redeemed you, that means that he has purchased you. He has paid a price with his own blood to set you free from sin and death. And for the first time, this young man connected the dots inside of his head and he realized, my life is not my own. He owns me. And if I truly want the grace of salvation, if I, if I want the, the fruit of the cross, I need to also acknowledge the fact that the cross was the price paid for my life. If somehow I was to try and continue to live for myself, it's as though I'm stealing my life back. That logic con convinced him to change his life radically. He, he abandoned his plans. He, he retired from the English cricket team. He, he decided to then devote his whole life to become a missionary. And he, he lived his life as a missionary in, in certain parts of Africa. I think he spent a little time in India and then died in China. It was, it was a powerful life that was given to Christ and it was a life that, that transformed the lives of many, many thousands of people. But the catalyst was the fact that he chose to truly belong to Jesus, to intentionally give his life over to belong to Christ. It's the simplest little decision to make, but it's the one that is probably the deepest and most terrifying for all of us to make. How much are you prepared to surrender yourself into the arms of Christ, to hand over your very life, your future, all that is important? And once again, it comes back to this question of how much do you trust him? Do you truly believe that God is in control, even if you can't see the end of the story? So from here on, we're going to try and delve a bit deeper into some of the practicalities of what this journey of discipleship looks like. How do we start to really conform our lives to God? How do we give over everything, allow God to examine every part of our hearts so that we truly become the image and likeness of Christ in the world? <laughs>